And I'm sure glad you all came back. That's a blessing. That's a blessing. You know, I was a kid. I used to come back to church because I had to. Now that I'm not a kid, I come back because I want to. <laughs> As one preacher says, uh, old hog knows where to find an acorn, amen? I try to give you some acorns, even though I'm not calling you hogs, amen? Now, I attempted to get through uh, about 14 things this morning, which, go ahead, you can laugh again. I thought we'd go through them pretty quickly, but we didn't. We were contrasting the Lord Jesus Christ with the Antichrist. I'll say it again. I was giving you some contrast, and why it's important is because as the devil works, he works often and always to imitate and counterfeit the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we gave you the example this morning that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, Revelation 5.5. 5, you all know that. All right, but then you get over to 1 Peter chapter 5, and guess what? The devil, he walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So he's the great counterfeit, right? And so uh, we know that the devil counterfeits, tries to counterfeit everything the Lord Jesus Christ does. But in the same vein, there's a great deal of contrast uh, between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Antichrist. Uh, the reason we want to bring that about to you is because we, you need to know the similarities and you need to know the contrasts. Uh, and I'm not saying you need to know it so well that you can recite it, but it wouldn't hurt. Uh, but that's how you learn. You learn by learning things that are similar one to the other, and you learn by learning things that contrast. And like we said this morning, then you take it and you repeat the matter until you got it, right? Uh, those of you who deal with music, and you're a blessing to me if you sing and any kind of ministry at all like that but when you go over something you have to keep going over it and going over it and going over it and one thing I know about uh, singing music as a family you have to you have to take one place where everything comes together and you have to do it about 50 times and half the family gets mad at you for it and you just take those at one measure that comes in that's a difficult place and you got to do it over uh, you know, and everyone, you know, and, okay, do it again, do it, all right, slow it down, slow it down, and so a lot of times it just helps, it behooves, it helps you and me uh, to cover this stuff, and not only that, so this morning, if, so if you want to get the stuff from this morning, if you weren't here, I'd, I'd encourage you, I'm not trying to get looks, likes, listens, or follows, amen, but listen to this morning things on things that, uh, the contrasting between Jesus Christ and the Antichrist, I left off on number 12, number 12, and we said that Jesus Christ, he's the man of sorrows, but the Antichrist is the man of sin. He's the man of sin. And I'm going to give you two more. We're going to kick this thing uh, and, and get in uh, with Second Thessalonians. But I know you got your Bible, so let's pray. Father, pray that you bless this time in the Word of God. Pray that you bless the study, bless the teaching, bless the preaching. And Father, thank you for letting us come here. Thank you, Lord, for a warm building, a place to sit, padded pews, and Father, a church family to be around, fellowship with, and quite frankly, just a place where we can let our hair down. Father, we thank you, Lord. We also thank you for the season this world calls Christmas, that we get to remember who you are, what you did for us in that little manger so many years ago. Thank you, Lord, for stirring our hearts in the song service. Lord, I pray that you help us to turn our hearts and minds toward you at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now this uh, number 13 here. Uh, these are things that are contrasting Jesus Christ from the Antichrist. Uh, so here's number 13. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and the Antichrist is the Son of Perdition. 
and you pick the one up about Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, and then you pick the other one up about uh, the son of perdition, and you pick that up in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Amen? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. All right? But uh, that's Jesus Christ. Now the Antichrist, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you should be there. Uh, possibly there, if, unless you were running to Luke, I understand that. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you see uh, verse 3 there. We haven't got very far the last couple times because there's just a multitude of information. I, I think it's important that you get it. Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3. Bible says here, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed... The son of perdition. All right, let me give you the last one here. Uh, number 14, Jesus Christ uh, is the mystery of godliness. Uh, that's God manifest in the flesh. And finally, that's contrasted with the Antichrist. The mystery of iniquity will be Satan manifest in the flesh. I'll say it again. Jesus Christ, the mystery of godliness, is God manifest in the flesh. And you're going to pick that up in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 16, without doubt, without a doubt, no controversy, the Bible says, Paul tells Timothy there, and the place that you picked that thing up about uh, the Antichrist, uh, being the mystery of iniquity, that thing's uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.7, 2 Thessalonians 2.7. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Amen. And all the new Bibles, you better believe it, take a slap at that and take it out and mess with it and pull it out and put it, in the, put it down there at the bottom and footnote it or erase it or just take it out altogether. It says, well, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now look at the last verse here, 2 Thessalonians 2.7. 2-7, this is the Antichrist. The mystery of iniquity will be Satan manifest in the flesh. It says, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So you have the contrasting there between Jesus Christ, who is uh, uh, known as the mystery of godliness, God manifest in the flesh, versus the Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's the mystery of iniquity. He is going to be Satan manifest in the flesh. Remember, uh, the Lord had a son. Jesus Christ. And likewise, the great counterfeiter, Satan himself will have a son. That's the son of perdition. All right? Now, that completes that thing. If you want to know where I got all that stuff, I didn't come up with it. That's Clarence Larkin, page 116, Dispensational Truth. All 14, he's actually got about 15, but he refers to the RV on a couple, so we just leave those things alone. But come on back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, that's good stuff. That's good learning. And uh, that's, some of that is what you would call deep stuff, amen? I mean, you're not going to get it on focus on the family. Y'all can laugh, it's okay, or focus on the female, however you say that thing, right? But that's kind of deep, and uh, you can't stay in the deep end of the pool all the time, can you? But it's nice to look at it every once in a while, isn't it? 
It's nice to go through it and get out. Why? Because you don't want to drown. <laughs> Amen? But it's there, and I think you should know about it. I think you should know about the Antichrist. I think you should know that he has an injury to his right arm. He takes an injury to his right eye, uh, so that makes him a cyclops. You think of that? And he takes this great wound to the head, and guess what? He raises himself from the dead. You ever hear about someone doing that before? Well, why do you think the world believes on him? Because he's just like Jesus Christ, the great counterfeiter. You got to realize that when the devil comes back, the Bible, he doesn't come back tearing everything up, you know. He doesn't come back, you know, uh, destroying things. He doesn't come back and waging war. He comes back in. The Bible says, oh, look at Daniel chapter 11. I want you to see how the son of perdition comes in. He comes in slick. I mean, he comes in like a politician is what he does. He comes back in when this world is an absolute chaotic mess. Now, if you want to, want to wonder why a number of Bible believers really thought we were ready to get out of here when uh, the, what is it, the COVID thing hit there, is because this world was in a tailspin. And when the Antichrist shows up, obviously, number one, we're gone already. We're raptured out. But when he comes up... He basically snaps his finger and restores order to the entire planet. So that had been a great jumping off point. So uh, when that didn't happen and uh, the rapture didn't take place, uh, a lot of the brethren said, well, it's, uh, it's a good dry run of what is to come. And I, I think that's a pretty good uh, assumption. I think that coronavirus and COVID, and I don't think it was fake. I don't think, uh, and, uh, and I don't, you don't really care what I think, and I don't care what anybody else thinks, but I think it was a good dry run of what could happen. Uh, because all it took was a tiny little microscopic bug to make this entire world come to a halt. There were no armed soldiers. There was no Michigan militia, right? There was no states battling it out. There's no civil war. It's just like, oh, everyone's getting sick. You can't go outside. And everyone's like, yeah, cool, great. Yeah, let's stay home. Let's, let's do Zoom in our underwear. We're all good. And the entire world went crazy for one year. So when the Antichrist shows up, he's going to, Come in, you look at Dan chapter 11, verse 1, or 21, rather. Here's the Antichrist. This is how he comes in. And in his estate shall stand up a vile person to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably. Peace, man. He's going to come in like this. He's going to come in. He's going to be the great peacemaker and obtain the kingdom by what? Flatteries. That's how the Antichrist comes in. He's slick. He comes in real slick. Now listen, you and I, if you're saved, we're out of here. I ain't worried about how he comes in, but that's how the Bible says he comes in. He comes in by flattery. That's a lot of that political stuff, you know. That's a lot of backslapping, making deals around the table, the Camp David Accords and all that stuff. But back in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. We talked about that. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So again, that day, that's the reference to the day of Christ, a reference to the rapture, a reference to the judgment seat of Christ, and the marriage supper lamb. That day will not come, the day that we're blasted out of here, amen, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of, a son of perdition. So we know we talked about this about a week ago, that the man of sin is who? It's Judas Iscariot. And when Judas Iscariot hung himself, the Bible says he went into his own place. 
So he goes back, and we looked at Revelation chapter 11, verse 8, and he goes back to his own place, and his own place, the bottomless pit. I know this is deep. We'll get out of the pool in a minute, all right? But Judas Iscariot, that's the son of perdition. He's coming back. We talked about Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. In your Bible, in Revelation chapter 11, you have the second coming of Moses. Revelation chapter 11, you have the second coming of Elijah. And you have the second coming of Satan right here. He's coming back as soon as the Christians are raptured out of here. The son of perdition, that he's also called the man of sin, he's coming back. That's the second coming of Satan. And he comes back and manifests in the flesh. I know that's tough stuff, but that's the Bible. Now listen, uh, uh, look at verse 4. Since we know what the context of verse 3 is, the verse 3 is the context is the man of sin, the context of verse 3 is the son of perdition, now we can understand verse 4. Uh, you'll understand the next part we're fixing to teach here. Verse 4, who opposeth? All right, who's opposing here? Son of perdition. You see it? Who opposeth? And uh, it says, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. All right, so the only thing being talked about right now in the scriptures is the son of perdition, the man of sin. All right, and that's the only two things in the passage. So let's keep going now verse, uh, in verse 4. So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. All right, so right now there's no temple built over there, is there? And we're not looking for a temple to be built. We're looking for Jesus Christ. We preached about that this morning. A lot of Christians are like, oh, I wonder when we're going to build the temple. I wonder when we're going to build. I don't care, man. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. But they could start tomorrow. If they start tomorrow, I'm leaving before tomorrow gets here. You see what I mean? It's okay with me, man. Uh, so it's a literal temple. Look at Revelation chapter 11. It's a literal temple. Revelation chapter 11. Look at verse 1. Bible says, and there was given a, a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God. You see that? Now remember, uh, God took John and blasted him forward into the future. And by the time Revelation 11 takes place, you're well into the tribulation. And you see, into the tribulation, that temple's built. But there's no tribulation before the rapture of the church. I, I'm sorry, there's no temple before the rapture of the church. But you get over here in 11.1, he tells John, hey, look, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. So there's a temple and there's people worshiping therein. I'll go back to 6, Revelation 6. Any of y'all eat before you came to church tonight, like right, right before? Might be a little bit warning here. But anyways, Revelation chapter 6. I had a history class, and I'll tell you what, in high school, man, I loved history. I could just, I could have like six hours of history and it'd be all right, and took notes. I was probably called the teacher's pet nerd or whatever, and got, got good grades in history, and it's because I had a good history teacher. But anyways, we said that thing about the Holocaust right before lunch, and that's when they were showing videos, piles of bodies. I'm telling you, I had such a hollow, and they made you watch it too. That's probably the best thing for you. It's because you got generations now don't believe that stuff even existed. I'm telling you what, they've got videos on files of bodies and piles of bodies being dozed into holes and just the grass. That's, that's black and white. And we're going to cover just a little bit of stuff here. and It might make your stomach turn, but I think you'll be all right. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, the Bible said, When he had opened the fifth seal, all right, fifth seal well into the tribulation, right? There's only seven seals. And they begin after the rapture takes place. Fifth seal. I saw under the altar. Where's the altar? It's in the temple. 
So that's either the altar of incense or the brazen altar, and I'm more inclined to believe it's going to be the brazen altar because that's where the sacrifice took place. And under the altar, the souls of them that were slain, why were they slain? You got it in your lap. You see it? Not for the NIV, not for the ASV, not for the ESV. It's for the Word of God. It's that King James Bible. This thing's banned in 52 countries. You know that, right? 52 countries for the Word of God, number one, and for the testimony which they held. So that's a literal temple, and the Antichrist goes in and he sets himself up uh, sitting where the Lord comes. All right, now, what, why, are the, why are they under the altar of the temple? You ever stop and think about it? You see where it says souls? You notice when you get into tribulation context, you're going back to a, uh, to a different situation altogether? That souls? You've got a bunch of souls under the altar. You know why? You've got salvation differences in the tribulation. But beyond that, uh, you ever wonder why them souls are under the altar? All right, they're slain for the word of God. Isn't that what it says? And it says for the testimony which they held. What's their testimony? Well, look at Revelation 20. Revelation 20. Revelation 20, verse 4. They're slain for their testimony. They're slain for the book. But look at Revelation 20, verse 4. This may help you understand your Bible a little bit better when you get into these passages and dealing with some terminology. Revelation 20, look at verse 4. John says, And I saw thrones, and, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them. So how did they die? They're beheaded. <laughs> Off with your head. That's the way to go, man. Ain't no messing around. <laughs> All right, none of this uh, slow stuff. Chop your head off, be done with it. But they're beheaded for the witness of Jesus. All right, do you know Jesus Christ? Yep, you're gone. <laughs> off with your head. And for the word of God, there it is. And, and which had not worshipped what? The beast. Now look at this. Neither his... Now ain't that something... You live in a generation and a society that is so caught up with images. When I was a kid, I wouldn't understand. 20 years ago, you and I, would this would have made no sense, but everything is an image. The way we communicate now is through an image. Half the time, we don't even use words. We send an image. But that beast has an image. And they're chopping their heads off because they don't worship the beast, and they don't worship that the image of the beast. All right, look at verse 4, continues on. And neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. All right, so in the tribulation, two ways that you get the mark, you put it in your forehead or your arm, right? That's what it says, their hands. And it says, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. All right, take your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. So that's it. The, uh, you know, uh, that, uh, that series was called uh, Thief in the Night. They scared the devil out of every Baptist kid in the world, man. Gave them nightmares, and rightly so. Hopefully a bunch got saved. But, you know, their uh, whole coalition, how that thing laid out, is they just chopped, uh, chopped their heads off and threw them in buckets. That's what you saw. You heard that, th that guillotine come down? <laughs> Chop. And just an eerie silence. Well, what did they do then? You'll find out, Isaiah 6. 
Isaiah 6, 13. It wasn't just throw the heads in buckets, man. You got something else going on. That stuff's wicked. Bible says in Isaiah 6, 13. That's Song of Solomon. That ain't going to work. <laughs> Definitely ain't going to work. All right. Go up to uh, 9. And he said, go and tell this people. Talking about Israel, right? Talking about that Jew in the land. Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand their heart, and convert and be healed. Ain't that something? That's a loving God. We're going to make you blind, and if you can get the truth, I'm not going to let you understand it. Why? I've had it with you. Makes sense, doesn't it? You preach that thing through numbers. 11, then said I, here's the prophet, here's the preacher, Lord, how long? He answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, the houses without man, and the land be utterly... There's your tribulation reference. You see that? The abomination of desolation. That's human sacrifice right on the altar. Here it is. Until be utterly desolate. Twelve. And the Lord have removed men far away. They're scattered. They're running for their lives. They're hiding out in Selah Petra. And uh, that's over there in uh, Micah 7 and Revelation 12. They're hiding from the Antichrist in Revelation 12 and Micah chapter 7, verse 14. And the Lord have removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. They're getting out of there. Why? Here's why. 13. Lucky 13. But yet in it, that's the land, shall be a tenth. A tenth of what? The people. Your cross-reference on that's Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1. God tithed the people. And in it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. You know what a seed is for? A seed's grown uh, good for growing something that gets eaten. God tithes his own people in the land. In Nehemiah chapter 11. So here's the picture. Here's, here's what's going on. You've got most of the Jews, they've split, and they're, they're, going, uh, they're going absolutely crazy, and the Lord's out there uh, feeding them with manna. That's Revelation chapter 12. And those Jews are eating manna, where the priests of the Antichrist, they're eating Jews at an altar. That's what that thing is. You say, why? Because in the tribulation, cannibalism is a form of worship. Look at Psalms. Look at Psalms uh, 16. Psalm 16. So when you see them souls on the altar, that's a form of worship. And the priests of the Antichrist go in there and they sacrifice those Jews. And I know it's gruesome, but they eat them. Now, isn't there a certain religion out there that says uh, when you eat the, uh, the bread and you drink the juice so uh, that it come, becomes the literal body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's abomination in the Bible. And that's a forerunner of what is to come in the tribulation, but that thing happens for real. All right, anybody, uh, you're ready to leave now, I understand. But uh, Psalm 16. Psalm 16. Look at uh, verse 4. Psalm 16, 4 in one hand. And we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 30 in just a second. Now here it says, Their sorrow shall be multiplied, that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of... Blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. That's cannibalism in the tribulation. That's a form of worship. And that's why them souls under the altar, they were beheaded. They had their heads chopped off, 
And you can see that thing played out in Revelation chapter 11 with the two prophets, Moses and Elijah. They go out there and they preach the gospel of the kingdom and they call down fire from heaven. You know what they do to them? They chop their heads off. And they leave them in the street for three days. And after three days, the Bible says their heads roll back, attached to their body, and they get up and walk away. <laughs> I'd like to see that, wouldn't you? Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 30. I'd like to hopefully help you understand your Bible a little bit better in certain places. Because a lot of times you read your Bible, and like, that's an interesting passage there. And you see this thing typified through the Old Testament when Israel was under siege, and you saw them eat their own young, didn't you? That's a picture of what's coming down the, the pike in tribulation, although they're not going to be eating because it's a famine. They're going to be eaten by the priests of the Antichrist. Proverbs chapter 30, look at verse uh, 14. There is a generation, and it's out there, whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the what? You see that word poor? You know why they're poor? There's only one reason. It has nothing to do with they don't get welfare either. They won't take the mark. That's why they're poor. Now that passage right there ought to give you light on the book of James. When you see the poor and needy, the poor, you, you know why the Lord's so concerned about the poor and needy? Because in the tribulation there's a bunch of Jews that refuse to take the mark and they're taken up and they're sacrificed as a cannibalistic ritual for the Antichrist priest to worship and eat and drink them. And it says to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. Now that's what's going on there. And uh, those are the souls slain for the word of God, for the testimony which they held. And they're poor because they won't take the mark. And back there, uh, uh, John's talking about a literal temple there in Revelation chapter 6 where he sees this, the souls under the altar. And the Antichrist goes in there and he sets them up in that temple. And he'll be sitting there when the Lord comes. Now that whole gruesome scene that plays out, the, the Jews in Revelation chapter 12, they're in the wilderness. The Lord will once again feed them with manna. Right? Just like when they were uh, going around in the wilderness there. And then, the, then there's a tenth of the people in the land of Israel that are getting sacrificed at a cannibalistic ritual. And the priests of the Antichrist are, 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 are being cannibals there in the tribulation. And that thing goes on until the Lord comes back and stops that mess. Can I show you the picture of it? Look at Hebrews chapter 7. The Lord comes back and stops that. And the picture and type of that thing is Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings meeting Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 7. You ever wonder about that fellow named, uh, you know, Melchizedek? Call him Mel for short, you know. Melchizedek. Well, who in the fire is he? Hebrews chapter 7, you see Abraham coming back for return to the slaughter. Didn't he go down to uh, whip all them kings and take Lot back? He had 316 of his trained men raised up in his own home. He goes back there, you know, like the Lone Ranger and tears them up. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. That's the picture. That thing goes on in the tribulation until the Lord just comes back and says, enough of this foolishness, man. Hebrews uh, 7. The Bible says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave what? You see that tenth show up again? That thing's all connected. Talking about Nehemiah chapter 11 verse 1 when God tithed the entire land and that thing, the tenth of the people in the tribulation are given as a tithe of his people. And it's a, it's a rough thing. All right, let's get out of that deep well and move on. 
and all these things, uh, talks about the devil coming in and setting himself up. Um, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 13, uh, this man uh, right here that we're talking about, the man of sin, the son of perdition, he runs everything. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Uh, he's it. He's in charge. Everything runs, stands, and falls by him. Matthew 24. And you see this thing in Matthew 24. You'll get the context of, uh, of what's going on. Matthew 24 What's happening when this guy shows up? Matthew 24, 13. Then that Bible say, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You say, what end? The end of the tribulation period. They got to they gotta make it. They got to hold out. Until, now, aren't you glad you don't have to endure? I'm telling you what, if it was up to us to endure with our salvation, most of us would be good as in hell with the door shut. But in tribulation, salvation parameters change. And you want to make that thing through, you got to endure. You and I, we have eternal security. We have the sure mercies of David. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. They don't have that in the tribulation. But he that endureth until the end, that's the end of the tribulation period, the same shall be saved. They had to make it through. Look at 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now look, you and I, we're not preaching the gospel of the kingdom. You see where uh, this modern-day evangelical hocus-pocus, you know, you know, plastic banana good time rock and roller stuff on TV comes from? We're bringing in the kingdom. We're singing about his kingdom. We're preaching. No. No, we're not bringing in a kingdom. We're not even preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, look, you get in, you get in spiritually by the kingdom of God, but you and I are not bringing in a kingdom. The church is going. The kingdom is coming. And uh, we're preaching the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of the grace of God. So it's not even the same gospel. But verse 14 says, then shall the end come. Then shall the end come. And that's the end of the tribulation period. Look at verse 15. The context is the end of the tribulation period. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. You say, what's that? This is Daniel 9.27. Daniel 9.27. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. And then they uh, flee to the mountains and uh, do all that other stuff. So you know that the Antichrist, he gets set up there. And that starts the great tribulation period when he comes himself into that holy place and he sets himself up as God. And when he does, you know what he'll do? I mentioned it this morning. When that takes place, the devil will walk in there and he'll sit down between the two cherubims in that temple right on the mercy seat just like he did in Genesis 1, 1 to 1, 2. That's Ezekiel chapter 28. And he'll assume the position he used to sit when he sat there and said, I will ascend and I'll exalt my throne over his throne and I'll be like the Most High. And the Lord's like, out you go, thunk, boots him out. And uh, you got to remember that Satan was the fifth cherub that covered. And he'll sit between the two cherubs and take over just like he used to. And, of course, that's all uh, the timeline of that thing is Genesis 1, 1 to 1, 2, and Isaiah chapter 14, and Ezekiel chapter 28. And there's enough right there to keep you busy for about two months. <clears throat> all right, so what has to happen before he comes in as the son of perdition is the man of sin is going to have to be removed out of the way. 
And everybody always talks about this uh, particular passage here back in 2 Thessalonians. And everyone says that it's going to have to be the Holy Spirit that gets moved out of the way. But yet there's nothing at all in the passage about the Holy Spirit. The entire context about 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, all the way to 13 is the man of sin and the son of perdition. And we'll talk about that in the look at verse 5. Paul says, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. So Paul talked to him about it before. It wasn't a surprise. And look at verse 6. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. All right, what's the context? What is he that withholdeth? It's talking about the man of sin. The only thing this can be possibly refers back to the man of sin. In verse number 3, there's no Holy Spirit in the passage. And the reason the multitude of Christians think it's the Holy Spirit is because of Brother Schofield's note. If Brother Schofield wouldn't have put that note in there, no one would even think it's the Holy Spirit. And Brother Schofield's a good fellow, done more for the body of Christ than I'll ever do. But he's wrong in about eight or nine notes. So like I said, you don't throw his Bible out because he's wrong in eight or nine notes. You scratch the notes where they contradict the Word of God and you go on. But it's not the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the man of sin. Look at verse 6. And now you know what withholdeth that he, that's the Antichrist, might be revealed in his time. And you know this, but his time is 42 months. 42 months. Just happens to be 42 chapters in the book of Job. That's three and a half years. And uh, so in verse 6, what withholdeth is the man of sin that he might be revealed. And so the man of sin is a withholder in verse 6. And as long as that man of sin is alive and has a spirit that inhabits his body or is a literal man, uh, the devil, the son of perdition, can't go inhabit that body. He's got to get knocked off. And that Antichrist, he takes a deadly wound to him. And he gets knocked off. But when he comes back, whoa, <laughs> he's, not the, he's not the man of sin anymore. He's not, I'm sorry, he's not the son of perdition anymore. He's the devil incarnate. And uh, now I gave you those passages uh, uh, a while back about him being hit, most likely with a sword, probably across the right eye and across the right arm there. But it causes him to have a weakened or dead right arm and eye, and it kills him. And once he's out of the way at that point, when he dies, what happens, the man of sin who's always been here, he's always had his people here to do these kinds of things and do his work. Once he's out of the way, then the mystery of iniquity can come in. And then that wicked can be revealed in verse 8. Let's look at the passage, and then we'll try to put it all together. Look at verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. He's already here. He's already working. And the popes have always been here. And the mystery of iniquity have always been here. And it says in verse 7, Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Talking about the man of sin. And, uh, and that's what it is in the passage. And he is the one that as long as he's here, the Antichrist cannot come in and possess that thing. He's the one that's withholding. He's the one that is hindering and stopping the Antichrist from coming in. And it can't be the Holy Spirit. Why? It's not the passage. Uh, notice if we put that in here. If we put in the man of sin, look at verse 7 again. Only he, the man of sin, who now letteth will let. He'll get out of the way. Uh, he won't prevent it. So he's been withholding. Uh, all, all of a sudden, he'll stop withholding or stop hindering. It says, until he be taken out of the way. Look at verse 8. And then shall that wicked, capital W, be revealed. But not until the man of sin's out of the way. He's got to die. He's got to get out. Just like, just like Judas Iscariot. He had to hang himself. And then he went to his own place. See that? 
Now verse 8 says, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So it's not the church that's taken away. We've already looked at that in verse 1. It's not the Holy Spirit that's taken out of the way. You have to realize that the Holy Spirit is everywhere. And if you make it the Holy Spirit, you've got, you got to stop and think that the Holy Spirit has a specific ministry in the tribulation. And that thing's found over in Revelation chapter 12. If you take the Holy Spirit out of the way, he can't do his job on this earth during the tribulation. And that has to do with those two prophets preaching the gospel of the kingdom, so forth and so on. And, uh, and that, the doctrine of omnipresence testifies to that. Look at Psalm 139. You can't make it the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God, Jesus Christ. I mean, they're everywhere, all the time. That's the doctrine of omnipresence. Psalm 139. And the reason I tell you that is because a lot of fundamental Christians who mean well, who love the Lord... Uh, they're off base when it comes to that. It's not the Holy Spirit. Look at 39.6. Bible says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Uh, he says, Whether shall I go from thy... Say it. Don't be afraid of it. Spirit. You can't escape him. All right. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I free from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. That's why it's funny. You run from the Lord. You ain't really running because when you stop running, he's right there. <laughs> you can't run from the Holy Spirit and you can't make the Holy Spirit the thing being taken out. Why? He's omnipresence. He's everywhere all the time. He's here, there, and everywhere. He says in 12, 11, If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, but the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. The Lord doesn't need a night light. The Holy Spirit doesn't need night vision. Uh, for thou hast possessed my reins, thus cover me in my mother's womb, so forth and so on. And you've got to realize the Holy Spirit is everywhere. That's omnipresence. That's the doctrine of omnipresence. So if you try to take the Holy Spirit out of there in the passage, you end up getting the Bible wrong. Remember, as we started this book, you know what gets people in trouble? Getting the Bible wrong. You suffer because of persecution, doing right. You're going to get in trouble for doing right. Isn't <laughs> that a blessing? Well, good news for you. If you walk out here and do right, you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> you ever feel like that? I do right, I get in trouble. <laughs> and then you get in trouble for getting the Bible wrong. And then you get in trouble for doing wrong. See that? That's a Christian life. All right. <clears throat> and you've heard preachers, uh, I've heard them say uh, on the Funny Network there, the Holy Spirit leaves with the church. No, he doesn't. The Holy Spirit will still be here. And uh, like we said, he's got a ministry during the tribulation. You read Revelation chapter 11 and 12. You read about the two prophets over there, and they have their head cut off. And you know what that book says? They're filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit raises them back up. Well, he can't do that if he's not here. And uh, there's nothing at all about the Holy Spirit in the passage. In order for you to put the Holy Spirit in the passage, you have to introduce him into the passage when he was never there to begin with. So the rapture will take place, the body of Christ is gone, the man of sin is out there on the earth, he either gets his brains blowed out or stabbed or shot or whatever. Once he's killed, once he's out of the way, the Antichrist, he comes in as the son of perdition. 
and he'll fill that body, and that right there will be Satan incarnate. That will be Satan manifest in the flesh. That'll be the seed of Satan. He'll come right up there, and he'll take over from that point on, and as I say, man, it'll be hell on earth for the next three and a half years. Look at verse 8, and then shall that wicked, capital W, be revealed. And here that wicked, without a doubt, is the son of perdition. Notice it's a capital W, so obviously it's what we would call personified. It's a person. And if we go, go back over the passages, which we're not, because there are too many to number, uh, you can't make it anything else but that. It makes perfect sense. And that way, you don't have the church going through the tribulation. You don't have to change the day of Christ to the day of the Lord. You don't have to change anything in the passage. The man of sin is the one that is in the way. And once he's out of the way, uh, the son of perdition comes in. And the Antichrist there. Then, then shall that wicked be revealed. And that's after the man of sin is gone. And remember Judas Iscariot back in John 13? He was a devil. And then after he dipped the sop in the bowl, the Lord said to him, uh, I'll paraphrase it, uh, what thou doest, doest quickly. Remember we said that? That's John 13, 7. So Satan did or didn't enter into him until he'd been revealed to John who he was. Up to that point, he was a devil. That's what he said. One of you is a devil. But at that point, when Satan entered him, he was the devil. So that is what you should consider when you look at the passage. Look at verse 8 again. Then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. We've covered all the references to the spirit of his mouth a couple weeks back, the consuming fire, the second advent, and that's fire coming out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that fire is burning him up. And as you know, Jesus Christ has a flaming sword coming out of his mouth when he speaks. goes right in for him. When he's coming back at the second advent, he's speaking the word of God, and there's a fire coming out of his mouth, and it's burning everything up. And uh, Isaiah 34, 1 to 10, as we went over about a week ago, there's a lake of fire that he kindles that very day that he comes back, and that thing burns and burns, and it's going to burn forever and ever. And you know what the type of that thing is? We're almost there. The, the timing of all this coming together is really pr- peculiar because the picture of that thing is in Numbers chapter 16, and we just preached Numbers 15. So next week we get to preach about the very type of the second advent. You know what that is? That's Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. The earth swallows them up, and they go down right into the pit. I mean, they just open right up, and they go right to hell. (laughs) That's the the type. That's the picture. And uh, we said this. If someone is to die right now, their body goes in the grave, and their soul goes to hell. But there's coming a point in time, the second advent, when, after the church is raptured out of here, where both body and soul go into hell. And Jesus Christ warned you about that. He saw, how do he say it? He says, uh, fear not them which, uh, but fear them which uh, cast uh, body and soul into hell. Because that's coming to place. Why? Because when he comes back, he starts that fire, he kindles that fire, and that thing burns for all eternity. And in Revelation 19.20, you've got the beast, the false prophet, and those that worshipped his image being cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And, uh, well, they get the baptism of fire without a shadow of a doubt. They sure do. And uh, Matthew 13, that fire has been kindled. And like we said, once he kindles it, it will never go out. So that types in Numbers chapter 16. You've got uh, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and the earth swallows them whole, and they go right down into hell alive. And... uh, That's the flaming fire spoke of in verse 8. And every time he speaks, fire comes out of his mouth. 
So the old timers would say this when it thunders. They say, shh, the Lord's talking. <laughs> right? Verse 8, then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. All right, you see the phrase even him right there in verse 9. That even him refers back to the son of perdition. And these people, they get deceived here in verse 9. And I want you to notice and take note and pay peculiar attention to what they're deceived by. They're deceived by power. They're deceived by signs and lying wonders. Ain't that something? You know, the wildest thing is, if you take your Bible and you go over to Matthew chapter 10, you might want to write this down, and you read Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 10, you know what you realize? You realize that you, you match that with John chapter 6, verse 70, and you've got to remember that Judas was a devil. And Judas was a devil, but yet he was a preacher of the kingdom of heaven. And Judas was a preacher... Judas healed the sick. You follow me? Judas cleansed the, he, Judas cleansed the lepers. Judas raised the dead. He cast out devils and all that other, and yet he was a devil. That's a mind blower. But yet in the 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, if you look at that with me real quick, you know what that Bible says? It says, for the Jews require a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. Ain't that something? So who requires the sign? The Jew. Why? Exodus chapter 3, the whole nation was, stopped, was founded on a sign. Remember Moses is out there, and uh, he sees a burning bush, and the Lord says, take your shoes off, uh, bud, because you're on holy ground. That entire nation was, was founded on a sign. And in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, for the Jews require a sign. So when Jesus Christ shows up, they could expect signs, couldn't they? Because their entire nation started with signs. And Moses showed them signs of God and the plagues. And then all through the, the wilderness, you've got the miracles and the signs. Um, but you know what we know by looking at the scriptures? That the signs are for that Jew. And they're not for you. We're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. Signs aren't for you. You don't need to see some rainbow to make a decision. You don't need to see, you know, you know, grandma's hip replaced or something. Oh, grandma can walk and run around the church. That'd be nice. You're not a Jew. I'll look at Matthew 24, 24. Here's the connector. We'll stop here. And just I know I'm wearing you out. I've just, just run you pretty ragged here today. I tried to give you enough uh, practical stuff this morning to get you down the road, and I know it's kind of like some of y'all looking like the boat anchor just dropped on your toe or something. Uh, Matthew 24, 24. But you know the best way to handle some of this stuff is if it's you just eat what you can and you spit out the bones. That's what you do. You eat what you can, you write down a reference and ask the Lord to give you understanding for it. 24, 24. Bible says, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And you got an amazing thing going on during the tribulation time. The signs and wonders are so great. Not this Mickey Mouse buffoonery that's on PBN, you know. Not Benny Hen and his, you know, holy whatever it is he's, you know, blowing on people, <laughs> knocking them over. They probably had to stop that during the COVID thing, didn't they? Or do it with a mask on or something. 
But the signs and wonders are so great, they look so much like Jesus Christ, and that's what you got going in the tribulation. They're so strong, they're so good, and they're so accurate that it says if it were possible, they deceived the very elect, talking about the Jews. All right, that if the Lord didn't cut the time short, the very elect would be uh, deceived. And, of course, that elect is going to be a reference to your uh, 144,000 in Revelation chapter 14 that are going around preaching the kingdom of heaven. And it looks so much like Christ is doing it. And you know what? If uh, they didn't have the Bible, know the Bible, know the scriptures, uh, they'd be deceived themselves. Uh, one more passage here. Look at Revelation 13. Revelation 13, 13. I'm telling you, all this stuff with the charismatic movement, the Pentecostal movement that jumped up in the 19, about 1901, it began with the Azusa Street Mission out there in California. That whole thing is the John the Baptist of the tribulation. That is, the charismatics and the Pentecostals are heralding in the Antichrist ministry, signs and lying wonders. That's what it is. You were told to walk by faith, not look for a sign. And as one feller said, he's probably not the best guy to reference, but here's your sign. All right, Revelation 13. 13, 13, and 14. You, you see this thing really amping up these days, a pressure for you to look for a sign. Well, here, here's your sign, and look for your, here's your sign today. And not, it used to be just, you know, you'd get a fortune cookie and you'd laugh and add certain funny words to it, like in the bathroom or something like that. But... But now it's just everywhere you go, man. Oh, I, I just had a sign today. Yeah? What? Sign is you're nuts. 13, uh, verse 13. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Ain't that something? That's like the ministry of Elijah. If you could call fire down from heaven, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be rethinking my theology at this very moment. Why? Because I'm human. You see that? See what that beast does? He calls, that's the ministry of Elijah. And every time in your Bible, I'm sorry, minus two places. There are seven places in your Bible where fire is called down from heaven. You know what it is? It's God's approval on a sacrifice. And so he does that thing in the land, and he calls fire down from heaven, and he deceives the entire world. And if you're left behind, you'll get deceived too. Don't tell me you won't. The Bible says you will. And it says, verse 14, And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles, which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast. There's that image. That image showing up again. Which had the wound by a sword and did live. Ain't that something? We better stop. We're in way over our head. And uh, we are diving things. Too wonderful for me. Let's stop right there and we'll attempt to pick it back up on Wednesday.